Hebrews chapter number 2. And two different passages we're going to read, about uh, 14 verses or so, starting in verse number 14, Hebrews chapter number 2. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, speaking of Christ, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Jesus came as a Jew. He came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 1, verse number 11. Verse 17 of our text, Wherefore... In all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. That word sucker is an old English word which means to draw unto. And we've talked about that in times past. Now skip over to Hebrews chapter number 5, just a few pages over. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 1, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. This is speaking of the Levitical priesthood, that priest in the Old Testament, that he could understand the people who had infirmity, who had faults and failures and sins because he had them himself. And before he could offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people, he had to first offer a sacrifice for his own sins. Verse number four, and no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. That would be Moses' brother. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, Today have I begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered." And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto them that obey him, called of God, an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I want to speak to you this morning on the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here today. Lord, If personally, if I left right now, I would say it was worth being in church. Lord, Sunday school, your presence, Lord, the sweetness of the spirit here, the singing, 
the special music, the offertory, Lord, just the sweet spirit of fellowship that we've enjoyed already, it has been worth coming. But Lord, we've opened up the word of God and we have seen that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, this is a deep end topic. There are so many wonderful truths, needful truths that we could talk about here today. But Lord, we've selected just a few questions and answers that I trust and ask that they would be a blessing to the people. They'd be a help. Lord, our desire is that everything that we say here this morning would point people toward Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ, you are worthy. And uh, Lord, you deserve honor and glory. And Lord, may we lift you up. And God, speak to hearts and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A couple introductory remarks and then we'll kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this message. Something that is interesting is that if you do a word search on priesthood, you'll find that nothing is said of priesthood to the Gentile churches. I, I, I kind of suspected, I knew just from experience and memory of Bible reading and Bible study, I didn't expect there to be a whole lot said in the Pauline epistles about priesthood, but I didn't expect for nothing to be said about priesthood in the Gentile uh, letters to the churches. Now, this does not mean that the priesthood of Christ is not significant or relevant to us. Please don't react to that statement by wrongly dividing the word of truth. Uh, the priesthood of Jesus Christ is very significant to you and I as Gentile believers and very relevant to us. The Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter number 2 that we as Gentiles are one. We are one body with the Jewish believers. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And God has broken down that middle wall of partition between us. If you don't understand what I'm saying, Ephesians chapter number 2, you can read it for yourself. The doctrine of priesthood is relevant to both the church and the kingdom. But Hebrews... The book of Hebrews that we just read from is doctrinally speaking of a kingdom, of a new covenant that God has offered to the nation of Israel, to Israel and Judah, if you will. Hebrews chapter number 2 and verse number 5 says this, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. The world to come is not speaking about a new heaven or a new earth. It's talking about a change. The world to come in the book of Hebrews is a 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The earth is not going to be totally renovated, but it's going to be much different when Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning here on planet earth. And the author of Hebrews says, whereof we speak. That Hebrews 2.5 there is a key to opening up our understanding for rightly dividing the book of Hebrews, understanding why some of these things seem like they contradict what I've read previously. You've got to understand that while Hebrews is a New Testament book, it is strictly doctrinally talking about a new covenant between God and Israel, a covenant that they have yet to receive. They rejected their Messiah during the tribulation period. 
they're going to repent and they're going to recognize that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, was the Messiah that they crucified. They will repent and receive him as king and that will usher in this world to come whereof we speak. Hebrews 4 verse number 8 says, For if Jesus had given them rest... For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now a careful look at this passage of scripture, the Jesus of that verse is not the Jesus high priest that we are speaking of here today. The Jesus of that verse, Hebrews 4 and verse number 8 is speaking of none other than Joshua of the Old Testament, the one who led them into a land because the kingdom, the covenant with Israel is when God brings them back into their kingdom, the world to come, all the things that Jesus spoke about in the Gospels without this understanding it, it's going to be, you're going to be really, really mixed up doctrinally and trying to figure out how Ephesians chapter number two matches Matthew 24. But with that understanding in mind that Jesus, the Joshua of the Old Testament, that's, Jesus is just the, the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Jesus, uh, Joshua. It means savior. Joshua led them into that land. And Israel is going to be restored. We, we have Israel today, but it's only a budding kingdom, all right? It's not what it originally was or the land that God had promised to Abraham and so forth. But that will take place in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, let me move on to a little bit more shallow uh, topic here. I want to talk about some terminology. First of all, we read in the Bible about a Levite. That is every one of the tribe of Levi, obviously. The Levites, when it came to the priesthood or all of the sacrifices, the Levites were basically just the helpers with all of the details. They're, they're, the Levite was not necessarily a priest. The priests were the descendants of Aaron. And so within that tribe of Levi, you had people who were not, they did not belong in the priesthood, so to speak. And so they were people who would gather the firewood for the burnt sacrifices. They were the ones that would take care of the sheep and the, uh, the, the pigeons and the turtle doves, all the different things that the people had brought. Somebody had to take care of it. Somebody had to set up the tabernacle. Somebody had to take it down. Somebody had to carry it. You had people who were singers, and you had people, all the different things that went on. It was for an entire nation, and daily, there were all kinds of things and sacrifices and so many details, and the tribe of Levi was appointed to take care of those details. And then you had the priest... And the priest, as I've already said, were, were the sons of Aaron who participated in the actual sacrifices. And then, of course, the third term is high priest. We read about it, a faithful high priest here in the book of Hebrews. And this was, the, this was of all of the priests, this was the, the, the head priest, 
And he and he alone had the authority to enter into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. In that tabernacle, there was a big curtain. And behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, that that priest, that high priest, would perform that sacrifice. He'd go to the laver, and he'd, uh, at the altar, he would take the sacrifice. He'd take the blood of the sacrifice, and all through the outside of that tabernacle, he would sprinkle that blood. He'd come into that tent, and there would be the table of showbread and the altar of incense and all of those furnishings, and he would sprinkle blood upon those. But then he would actually enter behind that veil And he would present that blood from that basin on that mercy seat. And if God accepted that sacrifice, if they did everything according to what the word of God said, then he was able to come back out to the people. And of course, the people are all gathered around the tabernacle. And he could come out and he could say, peace be unto you. That's the same thing. I'm sorry, chills just went up my spine. That's the same thing after the resurrection that Jesus said to the disciples. He told Mary, he said, touch me not for I am not yet ascended to my God and your God. And then just a few few verses later, he says to Thomas, he said, reach hither and touch me. He said, see my side, you can touch me. Why? Because somewhere in that time, and it didn't take very long because Jesus could travel at the speed of thought. He had ascended to the third heaven and presented his own blood before the Lord, before the mercy seat in heaven. And he came back and he told the disciples, peace be unto you. His blood was accepted. Why? Because it was perfect blood. It was pure blood. It was the only blood that could atone for our sins. If you're here this morning and you're saved, you are saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That high priest, what a blessing. Now there are some questions that need some answers. And the first one, number one, is what is a priest? We're living in a very religious world in America today. The average American, when you say the word priest, a lot of things enter their mind. They probably think about maybe a a Roman Catholic priest. And by the way, by the time we get to the end of the message here, you're going to see from the Word of God that any religious organization that says we have priests, it's a teaching that is blasphemous to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you have earthly priests in this day and age, you know what you're really saying. You're saying that what Jesus did was not sufficient. And we find no scriptural authority, but I don't want to digress too far. So a priest, we have different things that enter our mind. Somebody that dresses funny. Somebody that, you know, says things in Latin or does some kind of spooky religious things. That's what people think that a priest is. And yet in the Bible, according to the Bible, a priest, this is just a simple definition, a priest is a man who was ordained by God to come near. To God. Exodus 19, verse 22. 
Remember I said the high priest would come near. He could actually go behind that veil into the Holy of Holies and come near to God. You say, why only one person? Why couldn't, just, why couldn't anybody go back there? I'll tell you why. It's something that's lost in Christianity today. The reason is because the God of this Bible is a holy God. We have lost the concept of holiness. God is so holy. Remember Moses back in the Old Testament that he spent 40 days and 40 nights just talking to God? And he said, God, show me your glory. And God said, I can't do that, Moses. You wouldn't be able to live if you saw my glory. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll pass by and I'll hide you in this rock and I'll cover you with my hand and you'll see my hinder parts, but that's all you're going to be able to see is just the back of me as I walk by. And that's what Moses saw. He came down from that mountain. His face was shining like it was radiating, like he had, been, uh, he had subjected himself to radioactivity. That's the power and the holiness of God, and we have lost it in our culture. We've lost it in our churches. People think so flippantly, like, well, you know, sin's no big deal. We take sin so lightly. Oh, just, I'll pray to the man upstairs. No, he's a God in heaven that's holy. Jonathan Edwards, back in the 1600s, had it right when he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. You think that God's going to be as flippant with your sin as you are? I got news for you. Your excuses and your justification and you playing the victim card and all of the different things that you justify your behavior thinking that God's going to buy your sales pitch, I got news for you. He's not even going to give you a chance to argue your point. He's just going to judge you based on what is the truth. We live in it. Everybody markets themselves. Facebook, social media. Here's the way that I want you to see me. And it's just ingrained in our mind that we start seeing ourselves the way that we present ourselves to everybody. And we just assume that a holy God's going to go, oh, yeah. You're a wonderful person. I saw your Facebook. He's not. He's not. When we stand before him, listen, he's not even going to have to show us on video. When we stand before a holy God, we are going to know the truth is going to radiate in our mind and everything that we have done that we know is wickedness. It's going to be right there at the fourth stuff that we've shoved in the closet as a skeleton, things that we've wanted to forget, things that we've tried to justify, and it's just going to be right there. And we're going to feel so naked before a holy God. That's the great white throne of judgment right there. That's the reality, folks. I'm not trying to scare you here this morning. I'm trying to get you to wake up to the reality of the God of this Bible, the God who created us. What, what good does it do to have a Savior that really just, I mean, most people think, well, Jesus saved me from a few mistakes that I made. Jesus saved me because I'm so wonderful that he wants to have fellowship with me. That's not the way that it is, folks. He's a holy God. A priest was someone that God ordained to come near to him because he is holy. 
Listen, if that high priest would not have done things the way God prescribed, if he would have entered into that holy of holies, he would have dropped dead that quick. And anybody that went back there to try to drag him out would have dropped dead. That's how holy our God is. What is a priest? He's someone that has the right and responsibility to minister unto men regarding the, quote-unquote, the things of God. Hebrews 2.17, we've already read it. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You know, the, the Old Testament saint, the Jews in the Old Testament, they understood the awesomeness and the holiness of God. They understood the, um, the gravity of depravity. They knew that what they had done, things that they had done, the sins and the failures that they had made, they knew and they recognized it every time they walked by that tabernacle and they saw all the bloody gore of those animals being sacrificed. Some of you have never even been on a farm. You have no idea where your Big Mac came from. Somebody downloaded Amazon, right? No, somewhere, someone had a cow on a farm, and they raised that cow. Now, please, the children, the younger children are in junior church, so you can just relax. Somebody had to kill that cow. I've been to an armor plant in Idaho where they butcher those animals. It is not a pretty sight. They have to kill that animal and they cut its throat and they hang it upside down and it looks like 10 gallons of blood pouring out. I know it's not that much, but it is a gory sight. Every time they walk by that tabernacle, every time they would bring their little baby lamb for that sacrifice, knowing that that white wool was soon going to be crimson red. Why? Because somebody had to pay for the sins that they had committed in order, in order to satisfy a holy God. You say, why would God want that? Because he said. You think an animal, why would God want an animal to die in order to atone for someone's sin? You know what? If you make it there, you can ask him someday. But until then, I would rather be like Abel than be like Cain. Abel presented a sacrifice from the flock. And God showed up. He didn't explain why. The Bible just says that God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice. Cain brought of the fruit of his hands, the garden that he had grown, and he did all of that work. You know, he's going to impress God with his wonderful vegetables and fruits that he grew. And the Bible says God had respect unto Abel's offering, but unto Cain's offering, he had no respect. He didn't tell Cain, you know, he wasn't mean-spirited to Cain. It wasn't 
this overt rejection that sometimes parents do when we don't perform up to their standard. That's not the way that God was. But God was a God of truth. He knew what he was looking for. And he knew that to satisfy his holiness, there had to be a blood sacrifice. He says it all through the Bible that the life of the flesh is in the blood. When man sinned, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A blood sacrifice had to be made. I didn't, honestly, folks, I didn't even plan on getting into this, but it's just here. It's just the Holy Spirit trying to get us to see. Listen, you're not even going to understand the value of the priesthood of Jesus Christ until you recognize just how horrible sin is and just how holy that God is. Until we get that, the priesthood of Jesus Christ is just a little kind of clever, interesting study. The Bible tells us further, not only is this priest a go-between, performs sacrifices for propitiation, propitiation, that's to make someone favorably inclined. You know, most people think that, well, I can schmooze God. I'll just, you know, you know like, we, like kids do their parents. I, I, I never got away with this. My kids never got away with this. You know, when they're in trouble and then they come up, say, I love you, Papa. I love you. Can I do something? When, you know, when kids do that, it's like, okay, what are, we used, we got suckered into that a few times. It's like, you know, especially when they're teenagers. It's like, why are they being so good? Why are they being so nice? And then you figure it out, you know, something, you find out something Later on, it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get it. But people think that God, they can treat God that way. Just schmooze him a little bit. It doesn't work. He needs a propitiation. And if you think that you're good enough to satisfy him, you've got another thing coming. The only thing that was good enough to satisfy him was his son, Jesus Christ, and the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. The Bible further teaches that the priests were to be men of judgment and teaching. Ezekiel 22, verse 26, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane, neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And I have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. And I could give you half a dozen verses that demonstrate that a priest in the Old Testament was supposed to teach knowledge and understanding and was supposed to explain to people the difference between right and wrong. And then as you get, you know, right and wrong, the black and the white stuff, that's the easy stuff. But when you get a little bit closer to the line in those gray areas, that's the holy and the profane. That's when sometimes you need someone that has authority or a gift from God to be able to help you discern some of that. That's what pastors are here for. That's what uh, elders and leaders, people who have spiritual discernment can help in those areas. But the priests in Ezekiel's day, they weren't doing that. They were doing like the preachers are in America today. Just tell the people what they want to hear. 
you know, everything's okay with the way that you're living. And uh, the Lord says, you're profaning my name. So that is what a priest is. Number two, and I will move quickly. Who is a priest? Who is a priest? Well, there are only two orders of priesthood in the Bible. Only two. The Levitical. We read in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 5. And one, one's talking about a Levitical priesthood, the descendants of Aaron. And we also heard about a priesthood that was the order of Melchizedek. The Levitical priesthood, you had to have a proven lineage. You were of the tribe of Levi. And um, listen, the tribe of Levi was taken in place of all the firstborn. God said of all the 12 tribes of Israel, instead of every firstborn belonging to me, he said, I'm just going to take the tribe of Levi and that's going to be the priestly family, so to speak. Uh, the uh, Levitical priest was required to have a holy and sanctified lifestyle. They were restricted in who they could marry. They were restricted in what they could eat and drink. There were all kinds of restrictions. And, the, you know, the middle of the word restriction is the word strict. God had a strict requirement of the, the Levitical priest. And the second uh, order of priesthood is the Melchizedek. And you can read more about that in Hebrews 5, verse 7. This was a king-priest order. Melchizedek, back in the book of Genesis, who met Abraham. He was king of Salem, but he was also the high priest of God. In Genesis, it says that he was without, uh, without beginning, without end, and so forth. It was an unending order. And it was the order of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not come of the tribe of Levi. He did not come after the order of the Levitical priesthood. But rather he came under the order of Melchizedek. Now some people believe that Melchizedek in the book of Genesis was just simply a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Some people believe that. I'm one of them. I just believe that that's who that was. Now, some people will argue with some of the terminology and say that he wasn't. I don't have anything clear-cut to make it an argument at all. That's what I see. That's what my heart tells me. And so, uh, regardless, regardless, Jesus was of that order. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 23, it says, And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. The Bible talks about Jesus Christ when he resurrected, that he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father with an unending, unchangeable priesthood, sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. That is our great high priest, folks. Number three, and this is my last point, why is this concept of priesthood important? Well, I hope that I've already said some things that make that a slam dunk to your mind this morning. Our reconciliation, 
someone who can be a go-between between us and God. That's definitely an important truth. Why is priesthood important? It's a complex question and deep-end stuff. I can't give you all the answers to that, but here are the top reasons in my opinion. Number one, priesthood has to do with our access to God. Matthew 27, verse 51, Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That's that opening up to the way to where it's no longer a Levitical priest. We, through Jesus Christ, have direct access to the mercy seat. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 11, says, According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Brothers and sisters, this is a truth that is so neglected, taken for granted in modern Christianity today. We are so used to the idea that I can pray and God will hear, I don't need a go-between, I don't need a sacrifice, I don't need any of these things, I can go directly to God. Listen, according to the word of God, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I have direct access to God, the creator of the universe. You know what, there's a, there's a famous religious leader, probably the most famous uh, Christian uh, personality in our day and age. I, I, I wanted to have access to him. I thought, you know, you don't live too far away from here. Uh, if I could just have two minutes of your time, I'd like to meet you. I'd like to thank you for the things that you're doing and nothing doing. I don't have access to him. I certainly don't have access to the president. I imagine there are a lot of people that are, have authority and power and leadership that you and I, uh, we, we could try for our whole life and never actually get access to them. But the creator of the universe, according to the Bible, you and I have access when we, go, when we go all this time, we go, go weeks and months without spending any serious time in prayer, guess what we just did? We just neglected the access that we have with the God of the universe. How foolish are we? I mean, well, I didn't have time. Isn't that just crazy to think that way? I didn't have time. I was too busy. And then, you know, list over here all of this stuff that we're doing. I got 20 things over here that I needed to do today. Is any of it more important than access to the creator of the universe? Oh, I guarantee you, if you had an opportunity to talk to your, let's, let's say you're a trumper. If you had got to spend 10 minutes with your favorite candidate, you know, I would say the, the president, but right now I don't know that there's many people in this congregation that would really care about that. I wouldn't, but anyhow. I, I don't even, anyhow. I, I'm, I gotta be careful. I don't wanna, I'm trying to help you. I don't wanna offend anybody. Whoever you hold in high regard, if you had an opportunity to spend 10 minutes with them, I guarantee you, you'd find you just clear your schedule. Why are we so foolish that we don't do it with God? 
not only our access to God, but our reconciliation to God. Look at Hebrews chapter number 7 with me. Hebrews chapter number 7. We are at enmity with God because he's holy and because we are sinful. And it says in verse number 22, it says, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's, For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. He is our reconciliation to God, and it is an eternal reconciliation. You and I may mess up, but we've got a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the Father, He is making intercession for us. He is our advocate. He is our propitiation. And then number three, through him, we can have a relationship with God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator. What is a mediator? That's a go-between. One mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. That's his priesthood right there. He is making intercession for us. Not just when we sin, but when we struggle. Listen, you can have access, and when you're struggling and you have need, you know what we do human nature-wise? When, when I'm struggling, my human nature is to crawl in a cave. My human nature is to withdraw. My human nature is to beat myself up. All of these things. My human nature is to make myself a victim, have a pity party. But if I know and if I truly believe that I've got a high priest and he's sitting at the right hand of God, he is my propitiation, he is my access, he's making intercession for me, you know what I, what I ought to do is I ought to have a relationship with God through him. And instead of crawling a hole, instead of avoiding God when I'm struggling, I can come running to God, running to him for help to find grace in time of need. Conclusion. All these principles that I just gave you, access to God, reconciliation, relationship, atonement, all of these are interconnected. You can't really take one aspect without the other. That's the priesthood. You can't talk about the priesthood of Jesus Christ without also realizing that he is also the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That high priest would take an animal that somebody else brought and shed its blood But Jesus took his own blood, and he was the sacrifice and the priest presenting. 
Everything about our salvation is in him and not in us, not in religion, not in this church or any church, not in a prayer even. It's in the cross of Calvary. It's all in Jesus. The Lord doesn't need you to help him save you. He just needs you to believe and trust with all of your heart. Hebrews 4, verse number 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. That's our steadfastness. That's our stability. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I have a hard time thinking that a holy God could really understand my humanity. I mean, a holy God, he knows everything about me. And you know, sometimes we hide from ourselves because we know ourselves. It's a hard thing to think, I don't think I want to get around God because he's like an x-ray machine and knows every thought, everything that I've done. But that's where Jesus Christ comes in. He came down from heaven. God manifest in the flesh. He brought on himself humanity. He was a Jew. He lived this earth. He suffered being tempted. He was tempted in the wilderness. He had pain. He had sorrow. He was acquainted with griefs. He lived a human life. And so we have a Savior and a priest who understands us, and he can be our go-between between sinful man and a holy God. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, folks, you don't need a therapist. You don't need a religious priest, a Catholic priest to go and confess your sins to. That is, a, that is not a biblical doctrine. You don't need someone that you can pray to. You don't need a saint or Mary to try to get to God. I know what the Catholic Church says. Oh, we don't believe in praying to Mary. We believe in praying through Mary. Well, that's a man-made religious teaching. You don't need to go through Mary or to Mary, you just need to go to your one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Well, I just don't think that he would understand. Who could understand better than Jesus Christ? Why would you want to pray to anyone else when you can go straight to the throne of grace personally? Jesus is your pen, your password, and your access code. He is your great high priest.